episode 24 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, where Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick, and I'm joined again by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Nick, you know, celebrating this fine American holiday of ours, Labor Day. Just got back from north of the border, where I saw a Blue Jays game. Unfortunately, it was not the Justin Verlander no-hitter. I was at the game Friday night where the Blue Jays got equally dominated. But, you know, it was refreshing seeing a team that values calling up prospects when they're ready over service time shenanigans. Yeah, you love to see that. So when you said north of the border, I'm, I've got the Chicago Bears on my mind. I thought you were saying <laughs> you were in Wisconsin. Like, that's what I figured you were saying because I forgot you were in Toronto. No, nah, man, that's I can't, I can't go there. Going to see, uh, I was going to say, I can't go to Wisconsin during Packer week. You mean Bears week. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> Semantics. Anyway. Anyway, um, so episode 24, uh, notable clubs to wear number 24. Um, last week's LinkedIn player profile, Bobby Scales, who in fact viewed my profile immediately after we recorded the episode, which was hilarious. Um, Matt Stairs, uh, well-known brick shit house. Uh, currently, Craig Kimbrell, and from the 2016 World Series winning team, Dexter Fowler. How about you? Yeah, so we got a couple notable 24s. I'll start off with one of the fun names I found, Bump Hadley, who wore it in 1932. I view the name Bump as just like a beautiful baseball name. I I wish there were more guys named Bump now is all I can say. Other than him, you had Floyd Bannister wear the number from 1983 to 87. Uh, Mike Cameron wore it, and he was uh, famously traded for Paul Canerco back in the 90s. Uh, on the 05 World Series team, we had, of course, third baseman number 24, Joe Creedy. And then uh, more recently, Dion the Tank, VC8, Matt Davidson, and this season, AJ Reed, who was now a casualty of the old DFA. Yeah, that, that, that'll that happen. I don't know. I think Bump Bovard really rolls <laughs> off the tongue. If you're Dude, really gonna... uh, looking for names in the future. I'm going to have to think about going with that for Wiffle Ball next year. Yeah, but that would mean you'd have to pitch, you know, on the bump. And uh, let's face it, we, we ain't switching pitchers after last year's performance. So I don't know who threw a perfect game or not, but, I mean, uh, semantics. No, I'm the I'm the human uh, victory cigar. I don't know for which team, but when I go in to pitch, the game is well settled. Okay, um, so we're going to do a weekly recap. Yeah, so it was actually, you know, it was a horrible week for the White Sox. Um in honor of my trip to Toronto and it being called the Six, the White Sox actually went 0-6 this week, so that was pretty neat. Um, started off with a three-game sweep against the Twins in sh- in Chicago. We started off on 1-3 loss on Tuesday. Luckily, our best day of the week was our off day on Monday. Uh, Tuesday, bad offensive day. We wasted a very good Giolito start. He gave up uh, six hits, one run. Yeah, offensively, we didn't really do much. T.A. had a a uh, home run to get it to 2-1, to one, which was the only extra base hit of the game. Giolito, nine strikeouts, great game. Just not not a good offensive performance. Wednesday, uh, common theme, another not good offensive performance. Abreu hit a double to get it to one nothing, and from there it was all twins. They won 8-2, to two, uh, led mainly by two home runs from Jonathan Scope. Uh, Detweiler was chased very early. He gave up five earned runs in four. Uh, Jace Fry got blown up later in the game. We got two hit games from T.A., Abreu, and Yolmer, and that was about it offensively. Thursday, uh, another bad game. We lost 10-5 to to the Twins. Cease got absolutely just bombed, obliterated, whatever you want to call it. Eight earned runs in two innings pitched. Uh, it was 4-0 after the first inning, 6-0 after two, 
And then he got the, uh, like, finish him punch in the third with uh, Cave and CJ Crone opening with home runs to get it to 8 nothing. Uh, yeah, we were able to salvage a couple of runs. Abreu had uh, four hits and an RBI, and Eloy had two hits and an RBI. Other than that, not much. So we leave Minnesota, three-game sweep. We're going to uh, Atlanta in for an ugly series, and that it was. Friday, we lost 7-10 to 10 to the Braves. Nova got absolutely tagged. Well, not absolutely tagged relatively for the rest of the week, but still four earned runs and four innings. No strikeouts, which for him isn't that weird. We got this one close. It was 5-6 to six in the 7th after a Freddie Freeman ear, error and, ironically enough, a Beef Wellington uh, three-run homer. But then the Braves pulled away there in the 7th and the 8th. Just, you know, offensively not a good game. Seven hits, two walks, 15 strikeouts. Generally not a good line. Uh, Saturday, another bad loss. I think we're, you're picking up on the theme here. Uh, we lost 11-5 to to the Braves. Uh, Lopez got just bombed. Six earned runs, six hits, one walk in two-thirds of an inning. So in a week full of bad starting performances, Lopez did not uh, make it out of the first. And it wasn't he didn't give up a home run. It was a real frustrating sequence. Uh, Dansby Swanson had an RBI double. And then later in the inning, frickin' Billy Hamilton hit a ground rule double, and then Dallas Keuchel, of all people, had the death blow single to knock him out of the game. And in my notes here, uh, you can't see it over the airwaves, but there's a little frowny face with the angry eyebrows after the Dallas Keuchel single. So, yeah, <laughs> not a good game. Eloy had three hits. Uh, we were able to get it to 7-5, but just a bad game. Uh, Sunday, you think our boys wanted to salvage one there for Giolito. Not the case, unfortunately. Giolito, again, looked really good. He went six innings, had seven strikeouts, only one walk, and four hits. Uh, the problem was he gave up four runs on two two-run home runs to Freddie Freeman. So his only mistakes were those two pitches, and I'm not really going to fault him for that. It was a really good outing. Uh, unfortunately, we had no offense except for Lucas Giolito. He tied it in the second at two with a two-RBI single, and we got really nothing outside of that. Uh, Abreu had an RBI single in the seventh, um, which unfortunately we squandered. It was first and second, two outs, and TA7 got thrown out, stealing third, making the third out at third. Uh, a lot of people freaked out about that, saying it was selfish stat padding. I don't know. I think he's just trying to do too much, and uh, semantics, but he had the bag. He just overslid it and got tagged by Donaldson as he slid. Uh, nonetheless, doesn't really matter. We lost 3-5, capping off the 0-for-6 week dropping our overall record to 60 and 76. And if I if this had been like a normal two-day weekend, I'd be much angrier right now, but I got four days to rest. So I think I'm at peace with it. Yeah, so we have yet to have either team win all the games for the week. We've gotten close a couple times. But this was the first time we had an O-for yep. from either side. And it took 24 weeks for it to happen. So, all things considered, not horrible. My question to you, Pat, is, is this rock bottom? Uh, that's a good question because, yes, it was our worst week of the season just in terms of win-losses. But, like, I feel like we're already there. So, I'm kind of, like, just rolling it with it right now. You know, we gave up double-digit runs and what, what was my count at? One, two, three of the six games. Uh, I mean, we lost to two good teams, but at this point, I'm, I'm already at rock bottom. They can't really do anything to make it worse, barring a Tommy John surgery, which I'm knocking on my wood desk right now. Please, God, don't let that happen. Uh, yeah, and speaking of Tommy John, this Labor Day went a lot better for me than my last one when I was on a flight back from Hong Kong and landed to the news of 
Michael Kopech blowing out his arm. So, yeah, I don't know. We're already at rock bottom. Can't really get much worse, so I'm maybe I'm just in a state of delirium. Yeah, I remember the group chat that was going on when the Kopech news hit, and we realized you, of all people, had not responded to that news, only to then realize, using flight tracker technology, that you had eight hours left in your flight, and it was just a ticking time bomb. Dude, I landed. Uh, first notifications I get. Michael Kopech, UCL, is dead. Um, second notification, Mac Miller is actually dead. So that was a rough landing for me. Yeah, it's a tough break uh, for both for both uh, influential figures in your life. Um, so yeah, definitely knock on that wood uh, a couple more times. And also, at least next season, uh, if we don't get canceled, uh, we should have a rock bottom counter for the number of times we've decided that the team has hit rock bottom. I think I'm at like five but right now, but this is like a running rock bottom where I don't think there's any going up from here. I'll take it. Okay, uh, Cubs week a little bit better, but it could have been so much better. So uh, we'll just get right into it. Four and two on the week. Uh, they first went to New York to play the Mets and had to go through the gauntlet that is their starting pitching, which I assumed the Cubs were going to get swept in. And the opposite happened. They swept the Mets, beating Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, and Jacob deGrom. Game of that, you Darvish. It was a 5-2 win on Tuesday. You uh, Darvish goes eight innings pitched, five hits, given up only one earned run and seven Ks. Those eight innings was his long start as a Cub, so it was a really good outing for him. Uh, Javi Baez with three hits. Bullpen did its job. Uh, it was just Kinsler in the ninth. No Kimbrel. Uh, Wednesday... It was an absolute cardiac of a game. The Cubs were up 10 to 1 and ended up winning 10 to 7. Kyle Hendricks did not look great. Uh, four and two thirds, six earned, but that had come. All of those runs came after the the six one or the the 10-1 lead. Uh, a lot of home runs. Syndergaard giving up more runs uh, in like three innings than he ever did in like the first innings of a game in his career. So they really teed up on Thor. Uh, got the win. A couple Castellanos homers, some Schwarber homers. It was it was a good day for the offense, but you just saw them coming back one run at a time, and it was it was nauseating towards the end. But they got the win. Uh, Thursday, figured this one would be a tough one. Uh, Jacob deGrom, Cy Young winner, going up against the Cubs, who he usually does really well. Uh, John Lester going up against him. Lester was the better of the two, uh, going six innings and only giving up one run. The hero of the game, uh, Victor Caratini, with his two home runs, a solo shot and a three-run homer, comprising all of the Cubs' runs that game. Great to get that kind of production out of your backup catcher who has taken over the starting roles as Wilson Contreras mends that creamy hamstring. Friday, back at home, Milwaukee Brewers come to town. Uh, it was a 7-1 win, so the Cubs you know, won four straight in a row to start the week. We're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Jose Quintana, uh, high pitch count, but great result regardless. Five and two thirds, uh, four hits, no earned runs, and I believe this day had also two Castellanos home runs. I don't know if he got it against the Mets. I know he hit at least one against the Mets, but in any case, two Cassianos home runs, 7-1 win, pretty easy. Uh, n nothing crazy happened there. And then the offense decided that it was Labor Day weekend and they weren't going to do anything for the rest of the weekend, much like we felt after Friday leaving work. Uh, Saturday, Brewers again, a 2 nothing loss. Cole Hamels started off giving two, run uh, two earned runs in the first inning and made, uh, made it six innings without giving up any more. Uh, the Cubs had six hits and no runs and just got shut down. Sunday, same story. 
Uh, Yu Darvish, though, was scratched before the start with some elbow tightness and has yet to talk to the media, so who knows what's actually going on. Tyler Chatwood starts in his place, was decently solid, three and two-thirds innings because he's not stretched out, three hits and earned run. Four walks was kind of an issue, but he didn't let it bite him, so... Uh, but uh, it was one nothing till the top of the ninth, and Christian Yelich comes up and hits a three-run homer, and any life that was in the stadium was immediately sucked out of it. In any case, four and two on the week. Uh, but St. Louis had a an even better week. Uh, they had two doubleheaders back to back against the Cincinnati Reds, winning three of those four games in a two-day stretch. So the current lead now in the Central for the St. Louis Cardinals is at three games. Plenty of time left. Seven games left against the Cardinals. So that those two series will pretty much decide the division, so I'm not too worried about it right now, but we'd like to close that gap a little bit. So 4-2 and two on the week. Um, I would have liked to have been 5-1 and one or 6-0, and oh, obviously, but uh, you'll take 4-2, and two, but you're going to have to start seeing some 5-1 and one and 6-0 and oh weeks if you really want to run away with this division like they should have been doing a long time ago. Yeah, a couple points I'd like to jump in on there. Number one, I do got to agree with you. Looking at the statistics, the numbers, everything, going 6-0 and in a week is better than 4-2. and uh, So that's my first point. <laughs> uh, second point, uh, if the Brewers were like an actual major league team that respected the game, how many times would Castellanos have been drilled after that bat slam he did? I, you know, I think just that, that's a, I think that's something people are asking. That bat slam was immaculate on Friday because he hit an absolute tank and then just two hands over the head, throws the bat that was as far all, yeah. as he possibly could. It oh, was it like was he awesome. was throwing axes. Yeah, it was great. It was like the um, two-handed version of TA7's like one-handed like javelin. Exactly. And there, all I could say for Cassiano's sake is he's just really lucky he wasn't playing against the Kansas City Royals because they are the arbitrators of fairness and uh, sportsmanship. Or the Pirates. Clint Hurdle and Ned Yost probably would have had him six feet under. Yeah, but I'll take it. Uh, Castellanos still tearing it up. No one else is really tearing it up. So who knows? I don't know. We'll see what no. happens with uh, the, this stretch run. Hell of a deadline move. I I mean, I guess we'll see when it's all said and done, if it gets up there in like the 2015 Yoannis Cespedes or the uh, whatever year Carlos Beltran went to the Astros and turned into Barry Bonds for two months. But it's right now it's looking like it's going to be up there. Yeah, I hope he has like a last year Yelich type uh, September to close out the season. And I think, I mean, obviously he wants to do that as well because he's ready to sign big money. Yeah. Um, and actually, there was a great. It was it was kind of absurd. Uh, his girlfriend or his wife or whatever tweeted out something just absurdly ridiculous, like to all the uh, to all the women that are uh, saying they love Nick Castellanos, too bad he's mine, or something like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, I, I'm not going to judge the security of someone's relationship, but I'm going to do that exact thing right now. Um, do you really have to tweet that out? Like, I think she, they have a kid. <laughs> but then I think it was, uh, was it Sam Norland or Kevin Bartman from Let Me Be Frank? One of the two of them tweeted, well, what about all the men that are in love with Nick Castellanos? <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, because it's, it's, it's going by the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think th- that's my one thing. I got to say, uh, White Sox fans have been talking pretty much the whole year about wanting to get Nick Castellanos in the off season, But if he keeps this up, Jerry's not paying for that. So I think we're going to have to change our sights to Ozuna or 
shit, I don't even know. Cameron Maben, maybe. But, yeah, Castellanos is playing himself right out of the <laughs> south side right now. Yeah, I mean, he's going to get... Him and Rendon will probably be the two biggest. Rendon will get more money mm-hmm. because he can play defense. But, I don't know, one of those guys ends up on the south side. You're, you're doing okay. Oh, yeah. All right, uh, moving on. We don't have that many big stories this week. Mentioned it that the Cubs are three back uh, going into, well, I mean, we're recording on Monday. The game already happened. We'll talk about the, the win against the Seattle Mariners next episode because, as we know, the only thing that's better than 24 is 25, and the same goes for SGP episodes. So uh, we'll definitely get into that Mariners win today <laughs> they were recording. <laughs> I love the SpongeBob reference there. That, but, that, that hits my soul. Oh, they more to come, trust me. Um, with that being said, they are still three back. The Cardinals are playing great ball, and it's just—it's coming out of nowhere, really, because they didn't have that great of a season. But you gotta just tip your cap to it, I guess. They just keep winning, like literally every single game, except for you know one against the Reds. Uh, but they had a tweet today that just bothered me to my core, and it was like Colton Wong just made like a, a nice sliding dive to throw a guy out at first base, and they tweet a video of it and just say like. Uh, a great play from the best second baseman in the National League or something like that, or the most elite second baseman in the National League. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, Yeah, that checks out. Colton Wong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, and they have a non-Hall of Famer, you know, catching behind home plate, which we'll get into later, as we often do. Obviously, you wouldn't trade for Mike Trout, right? No, I... I it, you're you're going to have to throw in Otani there, I think, to get me to tip the scales. And Mike Trout, I mean, his war is great. One, I think war is a fake agenda by the Sabre, uh, big Sabre metric, but I don't know. It's kind of a name brand thing. I think, you know, I'd. would you rather have Mike Trout playing center field? Uh, you know, a, well, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a very important position or a veteran leadership Hall of Famer behind the plate. I I don't think war measures that. No, n- nor does, uh, well, that, you need statistics like the will to win and the will to win yeah, plus. We're not there. Science isn't there yet, though. Definitely not. But anyway, yeah, Cubs are three back. Like I said, those seven games against the Cardinals are literally going to decide the division. I don't like how it was scheduled that way. I, I wish, like, the last month you had one series per team division just so that it's like, okay, it's the last time. Those seven games are going to be uh, some cardiac Cubs-Cardinals yep. action, and uh, I'm more worried about it. But uh, I don't want another wild card, especially if it's going to be against the Nationals who – can just throw Scherzer and with Strasburg, and it's that's the season right there, if you ask me. So, yeah, I, I figured, you know, th- just thinking about what's going on in baseball right now, this was going to be one of your bigger stories. So I did, I actually, you know, I helped you out here. I did some of the number crunching, some of my research, and I think I figured out why the Cardinals are doing so well. And, you know, some could say the addition of Paul Goldschmidt, the aforementioned Hall of Fame catcher. Personally, I think when I was looking through the numbers, uh, running through, baseball reference what it really comes down to is that they follow the cardinal way and they play the game the right way and i think that's really all it is there. <laughs> yeah i mean if uh if their new head coach you know falls out of favor you could always bring in ned yost to just keep it going <laughs> which speaking of I, I every time i hear the like best fans in baseball cardinal way all that i remember back in 20 was it 2017 when Luis Robert was supposedly, Robert was deciding supposedly between the Sox and the uh, Cardinals, I heard like some Cardinals writer being like, he he's going to want to come to the Cardinals. He Like the tradition is just so rich. And I'm like, dude, some like 18 year old in Cuba doesn't really care about the, uh, the rich tradition of the 1960s. I, I don't, I don't think he, Bob Gibson is going to sway him to come play 
on the banks of the Mississippi. But that I don't know. That's just me. I love when um, every like you can watch the Cubs post like a home run, like with the bat flip, for example, like the Castellanos bat flip, and you will like inevitably go into the comments, which is never a good thing on Twitter. Nope. And you'll see someone, some old Cardinal fan saying Bob Gibson would have drilled him. Like he'd, <laughs> he'd get one in the ear. <laughs> I, I mean, he's not wrong. Hate it so much. He's not wrong. <laughs> it's just like, or like, um, what was it? I think it was Piscotti one time where he got hit by the pitch. He stole second, got hit by the ball, and then stole third and got hit by the ball again. Just like the worst <laughs> luck. <laughs> it was against the Cubs, and all these Cardinal fans were like, they did it on purpose. Like, I was like, okay, oh, yeah. maybe you can argue that the pitcher hit him on purpose, which it's Stephen Piscotti, so probably not. Uh, but to hit, to hit him on second and then hit him on third again, like the catcher has that kind of accuracy where he can like pinpoint being someone when he can just get them out instead. Like, it's no, just absurd. No, I agree with you. I remember back, I think it was like freshman year of high school in uh, Babe Ruth, like rec league. I was playing catcher, and I hadn't caught since Little League, and a dude was stealing third on me and just – FYI, I had no arm. So here I am. I rear back to throw it, chuck it down the line, and it is a good 25 feet right of the bag. Luckily, it drills the dude in the back so he doesn't get past third. But it to that point, it is hard to uh, uh, hit somebody intentionally as a catcher. I liked this strategy, though, because, I mean, you knew, your release point wasn't great. You could knew it ahead of time. So you might as well, you know, slow him down the only way you really can and just, just slug him. Brains over brawn. Definitely. Okay, this is kind of like a follow-up of last week's conversation, but uh, what is the White Sox big story of the week, Pat? Yeah, there's not many of them at this point. Honestly, for me, the biggest story right now is the September call-ups. Unfortunately for all of you listeners who are so deeply ingrained, the Charlotte Knights lost today, which ends their chances at the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, sucks for them, but that means other players might get called up now. Unfortunately, uh, supposedly Ricky Renteria tempered expectations a bit, saying not to expect a lot of September call-ups, uh, which leads me to believe we're going to get the... It, nothing's been announced yet outside of uh, Dylan... Co- not Dylan Covey. What am I talking about? Uh, Carson Fulmer and Manny Banuelos getting the 39th and 40th spots on the uh, 40-man. But uh, I'd expect, you know, the usual suspects that are currently on the 40-man roster. It's going to be your Charlie Tilsons, your Daniel Polkas, your... Uh, Tiago Vieira, uh, Dylan Covey, they're all going to come up. So uh, you get there you go, the first bucket, quad A guys, they're coming up. Uh, next bucket, which is only two deep prospects that are on the cusp in AAA, uh, which really is only Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala, they're probably going to come up. There's no reason not to unless the White Sox are stupid, which I don't know. Uh, you can answer that yourself. Outside of that, uh, they don't have any space on the 40, man. So unless they wave a veteran with a, under a month left or they put John Jay on the 60-day, uh, that means Nick Madrigal, Luis Robert, Danny Mendick, and uh, Yerman Mercedes as their most notable players will not be coming up this year. Only other you know high-level prospects on the 40, man, are Luis Basabe and Micah Adolfo, who have been a combination of either hurt or are at double-A. So they're not ready to come up yet. They're just there for Rule 5 protection, but... Yeah, basically the big news is don't expect a lot at uh, the uh, September call-ups. Luis Roberts not going to go anywhere. In fact, I don't know if you saw, but uh, I think it was Thursday, because uh, it was when I was going to the airport, Frank Thomas said on the pregame show, 
He's like, you know, breaking news, just talked to Rick Hahn, and the White Sox are currently leaning towards not bringing up Luis Robert, which I think you, a reasonable person, would agree we all knew. Like, like, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, we kind of already knew that. My, the one thing I'm taking away from all this, well, one, I saw, again, the most ridiculous tweet. This is just like the Ridiculous Tweets episode. But the Charlotte Knights Twitter page was, like, chirping Sox fans saying, oh, he's not going anywhere yet. Like, we got some unfinished business. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, it's the minor league, the minor league wild card. No, man, we got to have them playing big games before they get up here. They got to have that experience. It's ridiculous, and it's like, if <laughs> I would respect the owners and the GMs of the entire league, especially the White Sox, so much more if they literally had the stones to say, we're keeping him down because of service time. Too fucking bad. No, you know? I'd, but I'd, they're trying to, like, all these fake excuses. This year they don't even have an excuse. It's been fatigue. It's been the wild card playoffs. Him and Nick Madrigal getting to play in big games together, learning to win, and then coming up. Like, that's, if that's an organizational priority, I wrote about this at Let Me Be Frank, but if that is actually driving any decision-making, which I, we know it's not at service time, but let's pretend it is, everybody in the front office should be fired. Like, that, if you are making your decisions based off getting prospects, winning experience at AAA in a wildcard game, that, too bad, they just blew, um, that, that should be a fireable offense. Like, that's ridiculous. The minor leagues, as much as they're a haven for players who can't quite make it, they're there to develop players. That's the job. And... I just I don't and then going back to my point about Frank Thomas so he says that uh, NBC Sports puts it on Twitter they scrub it from the internet after they took the video down of Frank Thomas saying that they are leaning towards not bringing him up like why what, what's the point but everybody knows that but they're gonna go ahead and act like it's all that it's just it's I don't know it's weird to me it doesn't make sense I'm just I'm tired of all this garbage and like you said I would respect them so much more if they just came out and said like it they don't even have to say service time. They can just say, based off of the long-term, I don't even know what do you want to call it, like outlook on a rebuild and the, you know, our window of competing, it makes more sense to leave him down until next year to start his major league clock. Some vaguely worded way. Rick Hahn's good at that. He's good at giving lawyers speak that doesn't tell you anything. So I'm sure he could figure it out. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. It just blows my mind too, because like, this this is going to be a month of the season where like, no one's going to be going to White Sox games. Yep. And the best way to get asses in the seats is to bring up guys like this. And maybe Rick Hahn doesn't care about it, but Jerry Reinsdorf cares about putting asses oh, yeah. in the seats at, at guaranteed rate. So well, that's showing kind of a disconnect. Well, that's the White Sox have always been that way. Like, Kenny has this, I think it was in 2012, he was saying, like, you know, we'll start spending more money when you start showing up. But, like, it's it's ridiculous. And to that end, I think I saw a really good example of that in Toronto this weekend. Uh, I was staying at a hotel not too far from the Rogers Center, so I saw a lot of people going to games. I was at the game this past Friday night, and, you know, the stadium wasn't full. The Blue Jays are not a good team this year, but you know what I saw? The amount of Ladd Jr. and Bo Bichette jerseys walking around outside the stadium and inside, it's everybody has them on. And Like, what do you think is going to happen when they bring up Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal? Like, that's what's going to happen. They're going to sell jerseys. It's going to build interest. There's going to be a buzz that they don't currently have. Because, yes, Moncada's looked good. T.A.'s had a good season, some bad defense recently. Abreu's Abreu. But, like, Cease has been the only real prospect call-up this year outside of Eloy, who they strong-armed into an extension. Like, it just it doesn't make sense to me. Like, you build all this optimism by calling guys up, and, you know, the Blue Jays and the Padres are kind of saying, screw it, we're going to go for it. And yet, we're not doing that, which I, I get, though, wanting an extra year, but it's just like, why... 
like what, what's what's the point if Giolito and Mancata are gone in four years? Like what what what's the point? Well, not only that, it's like give the fans a preview for the next year so you can sell more season tickets, right? Like if you yeah. brought up Madrigal and you brought up Robert and they bet two eighty five and hit three home runs. Well, Madrigal's not going to hit three or four home no. runs in a month, but Lewis Robert hits you know five home runs in the last month. You know how many people are going to sign up for like oh, season yeah. tickets for next year? Like right then and there. Like and, it's a preview and, for next year. And they're already demanding that I uh, basically the the thing is which I'm I, you know I'm that guy so I have already renewed mine. But basically you have to have your deposit or renewal fee in by sep- the end of September to be locked in for next year. So they're basically pressing people and they're not really giving us anything. It's kind of one of those things where it's like you know maybe. You know, Rick Hahn said, talk to him in Glendale about how, the outlook for next year. Well, like, that's not really a good way to sell season tickets. Definitely not. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we didn't do Player of the Week, so let's do that now. I'm going to first because, well, the Cubs won a baseball game this week. <laughs> It'll be a uh, more telling uh, Player of the Week. Uh, this one, go- well, I- I'm going to do uh, my Player of the Week in the form of a joke. I'm, I'm wondering if you could you can guess the punchline. So, uh, what drink bunny rabbits order at the bar is it caratini it is caratini <laughs> i got oh man yeah here. okay so the the uh player of the week for the cubs is in fact victor caratini he batted in the last six games 10 for 23 with a 435 average two home runs five rbi um those two home runs coming against jacob Degrom. so i mean Wilson Contreras goes down. Everyone's worried. We signed Luke Correa as a backup. He hasn't been hitting very well. He admitted that he's really glad he made all these uh, good stops the other day because he's not hitting, so he might as well be doing something back there. But when Victor Caratini comes in, he's hitting. He plays first uh, and catches, and, you know, his arm's decent. So until Wilson Contreras comes back, Caratini's been solid, and uh, that's why he's my player of the week. Uh, Those stats don't lie. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have that kind of versatility. I wish I had some. You wish you had some, or you wish your, the White Sox had some, or both? Honestly, at this point, I would take either. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I just need something. <laughs> that is a, a nice, somber transition to the White Sox player of the week, so please, Pat, continue. You know, Nick, you just inspired me, uh, so you did yours in a joke. I'm going to do mine in one, too. How many games did the White Sox win this week? Zero. Yeah, and that's how many players of the week I'm naming this week. We didn't win a game. You don't get a player of the week. I'm not naming anybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it, no, you don't win a game. Moving on. <laughs> I love it. The, at the end of the season, that like we can like you know how like in Sunday Night Football they put the pictures of the players of the week <laughs> on the on the wall. Yeah. Here's the, for for week twenty four of the season. There's just gonna be no picture. <laughs> it's just gonna it's be a picture of you with a thumbs down. Player to be named later. <laughs> Josh Fegley. <laughs> Either that or cash considerations. Inter- yeah. you, you know what? No, I take that back. The player of the week this week is international signing pool money. <laughs> I want uh, I want you to make like a jersey or something for for that. <laughs> oh man, get another couple of years of this, and I just might. <laughs> I believe it. Okay, now it is time for the favorite segment of the week: the LinkedIn player profile. LinkedIn player profile is where me and Pat look into the life of an old Cub, an old White Sox, using LinkedIn as the primary source of our investigation. Maybe it will invoke some fun memories. I had a really good one today of a guy that I even forgot existed. So I'm going to save that for a second, if you don't mind, Pat, starting us off with your LinkedIn player profile of the week. 
No, big shoes to fill. I'm going with somebody who didn't play a big role with the White Sox, but shouldn't be a surprise. It's uh, Chris Getz, the a second baseman with the White Sox through 2008 and 2009, and the current director of player development. So what is Chris Getz all about? He was originally from the Detroit area, so, you know, not a natural White Sox by birth. Uh, he was drafted in the sixth round by the White Sox in 2002 as Michigan's Mr. Baseball. Unfortunately, he decided his education was more important uh, than playing for the Williams administration. So he went to Wake Forest and then transferred to Michigan. But in tr- traditional White Sox fashion, Kenny Williams always gets his guy three years later. And the White Sox took Chris Getz in the fourth round of the 05 draft where he signed. Uh, He then worked his way through the minors, made the Futures game in 08, and appeared in 10 games with the division champion White Sox later that season. Started off 2009 as the starter at second base and had an okay year. He hit 261 with 25 steals in 107 games. And if I remember correctly that year, he was in probably the top 10 for rookie of the year. Gordon Beckham was obviously much closer, and Jason Nix was also in, in the mix, no pun intended. But they had a couple decent middle infielders that year, so that was good to see. Unfortunately, they sold him, well, not unfortunately, they sold him on the high point of his career to Kansas City with Josh Fields for Mark Tehan, a former LinkedIn player profile athlete of the week, before the 2010 season. Uh, from there, unfortunately, he was bit by lady injury, uh, the injury bug uh, in Kansas City. Uh, he, what did he have? He had a strained oblique and a concussion from getting hit by a pitch, I believe it was, in 2010. He had bruised ribs and a broken thumb in 2012, so couldn't really do much. Signed with the Blue Jays in 2014. Uh, only had a brief couple games in the majors before retiring in May 2014. Which then brings us to LinkedIn. What is Chris Getz doing now? Uh, he is a very impressive page. And as of right now is the director of player development for the White Sox. Where he is in charge of making sure this rebuild does not fall into a burning pile of ash. Which uh, right now, jury's out. Um, anywho... He was formerly the assistant to player development, and what I mean by that is his LinkedIn says assistant to player develop, and then MRNT, so spelling he's certainly not getting endorsed for. Uh, he was, did that for two years, November 2014 October 2016. Uh, now, he's not getting endorsed for spelling, but what is he getting endorsed for? He has endorsements for sports, sports management, baseball, knowledge of sports marketing, athletic training, social media, strength training, athletics, fitness, sponsorship, Uh, some other skills, cross-functional team building, scouting, which I hear is good for the director of player development, player development, another good thing, and my favorite, uh, perhaps, well, he is youth work, which I guess player development, it's good to know how to work with the kids, but uh, my favorite, one of his uh, other skills is... One endorsement as a great cook. I don't know who endorsed him for that, but uh, yeah. he. Oh, uh, George Cordes, the president at Metropolitan Baking Company, endorsed him. So apparently Chris Getz knows how to cook. Um, he's got him one recommendation. Uh, Steve Hayward says that he is very serious of what he does, and he is a winner in all caps. So kind of a Trumpian uh, endorsement there. One other fun fact about Chris Getz, his wife, Nikki, was actually a contestant on The Amazing Race with uh, David DeJesus' wife. I believe it was season 23, and they came in sixth. So, yeah, he might have some uh, physically impressive children, but I guess we'll have to wait and see in a couple years. Maybe he'll be one of our LinkedIn player profiles in the uh, 2041 season. So I just have one question about the incredible career of Chris Getz. 
with all of his time on the disabled list, do you think he developed a strong judge of fatigue? That's what I'm wondering. You know, maybe he's like, you know, guys, I know what it's like to be tired. I only played a handful of games in the major leagues, but we don't want to get these guys hurt. And I think that's probably what's driving it. You know, he he figured, you know, the best way to develop, you play 10 games, you play 100 games, and then you just kind of sit around for a few years. So maybe, I don't know. But, yeah, he he's kind of got his head out there right now, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. He might know fatigue. He also probably knows how to win at the AAA level, which our guys have not yet accomplished. So stay tuned on that. Yeah, and I'm a little concerned that the one endorsement in cooking wasn't from a family member. Um, just, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's the point. I figured I'd convey. That's honestly why okay, I checked well, it, because I figured that's who it was going to be from. Yeah, I guess it says more about it that it's someone who actually bakes for a living. But uh, <laughs> in any case, that was great. Uh, does the name Alex Hinshaw ring a bell to you? Yes, but I think it's more because it sounds like a familiar name, not really because I I have any idea who you're talking about. So we're going to go with a no. Well, it wasn't familiar to me either because he pitched two games with the Cubs. That does not disqualify you from being in LinkedIn player profile. All it takes is one. Uh, and in those two games, he recorded one out and had an ERA of 135. Hell yeah, there we go. I like that. <laughs> so I figured what better way to immortalize your Cubs lore than LinkedIn player profile. So I was like, what's this guy up to? So anyway, we'll, we'll start with the career. His LinkedIn is fabulous, uh, and there's also an article about his background, which is uh, we'll dabble with. But in any case, uh, Wikipedia first. He uh, was born August or October 31st, 1982, so Halloween baby. Was drafted by the uh, San Francisco Giants in the 28th round in 2000. Uh, spent over, this is, I guess, a theme. He spent, like, over 10 years in the minors. Finally gets his call up in 2000, or eight or nine years in the minors, uh, 2008-2009 with San Francisco Giants, then he went to the Padres in 2012, and then for two games with the Cubs in 2012 before his career uh, was shifted towards teams like uh, named Wingnuts, Bluefish, and Patriots. <laughs> but in any case, um, during his very short year, he went 3-2 and two with a 5-11 ERA, which was much less than his Cubs ERA of, again, 135 and 85 catches. So his last appearance being August 27, 2012. So there is a personal life section uh, in his Wikipedia. Enters home games to the song All All the Above by hip-hop artist Maino, M-A-I-N-O. Never heard of it. Um, you never heard that song? Let's see. No, I haven't. Oh, man, that was I a banger know. back in, like, middle school. It was like, I'm not, how does it might go? Have to. All the above. Yeah, I'm not going to sing anymore. That was embarrassing. <laughs> For those who listen regularly, um, occasionally we open the show with a bunch of different songs, and we don't decide what they are until after the episode is recorded. So if you heard that at the beginning of the episode, which you just very well may, then you'll get to compare it to Pat's <laughs> version. Um, oh, man. But he went to San Diego State University, where he met, in the quotes in the Wikipedia, his sweetheart, Courtney Fritz, who was a guard for the Aztecs women basketball team. And his parents are Robert and Homa in Claremont, California. Uh, and you're probably thinking, a name like Homa, I've never heard of it. Well, the nope. reason, yeah, it's because his mother 
was from Afghanistan, so he's a half Afghani pitcher. Ooh. Um, and there is an article about his heritage, and in in the quotes of the uh, the Blue Jay, the Star, which you may have picked up a, a an issue of the Star from uh, your Canadian travels, uh, pitcher Hinshaw comes from quote exotic background. So oh Afghani equals exotic basically the article uh goes on to say that his mom doesn't even really know what baseball is which makes me wonder where she thinks he goes every day when he leaves for work you think it's like the water boy like bobby boucher's mom didn't know he played football yeah um but booze ball the back, the, the, uh, the, the, the background is in fact exotic so um let me just read it well in his favorite my favorite quote from this article is how he describes himself and he says i'm a nobody that's it. I only get in the news when I mess up. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, you'll love a man who's Omar, grounded. Definitely grounded. Uh, Alex Omar Hinshaw has an exotic background. His grandfather was a diplomat and advisor to the Afghanistan's King Zahir, living in the presidential palace. His mother, Homo, went to school with granddaughters. So, this was before you know the state of Afghanistan is now. So there was a, there was a lot of royalty, but I guess. His grandpa was uh, was a diplomat in that area, so he's. It's not just like he's from Afghanistan; like his family's from Afghanistan. They were like high up too. Um, but yeah, his mom didn't really watch him play. Um, I guess he speaks a little Farsi, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but in any case, let's get to the good stuff. Uh, his LinkedIn, which is the namesake for the segment, of course. Endorsements: sixty-nine endorsements in baseball, or in some professional sports. Um, but he's got a lot of colleagues from the Blue Jays endorsing him, even though he didn't really play that much for them. Um, but in any case, he's got a lot of experience because after he was uh, done with his Major League career, which <laughs> Major League Baseball player for the Blue Jays, eight months is the only uh, is the only uh, experience he shows for professional baseball. He went into retail sales at Nike, which is selling shoes for three months. Then. I think, you know, maybe it's I just, one of those I things can't where it's like how, how that interview went. I think it's one of those things where maybe, you know, like Michael Jordan, you know, couldn't really coach because he was too good. You know, this guy, this dude knew how to fail. I think, you know, that's that's something that we all too often look past in today's day and age. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he then was a business developer for Express Employment Professionals. Uh, then he was a national account executive for Konica Minolta, Konica Minolta Business Solutions. And then now he's a business performance advisor for Insperity. It sounds like a lot of corporate mumbo jumbo to me, um, but in any case, that is the career of, uh, or at least the current career of Alex Hinshaw, who has over 500 connections, 500 plus connections, which really says a lot about his networking skills. So maybe that corporate mumbo jumbo really did something for him. I was Finally, say, we'll read his. Go ahead. I was gonna say it seems like he's jumping around a lot, so maybe you know he sure knows how. To... Oh my God, tongue twister knows how to build a network. There you go. Uh, to his bounce section, from, from the MLB to the corporate world, taking the skills and traits I have built both on and off the field, continually growing them into successful career outside of the game of baseball. 
here to diagnose, prescribe, and build long-lasting relationships one handshake at a time. That is the most LinkedIn sentence I think I've ever ever seen. The only thing he's missing is talk about uh, uh, building, promoting synergy. That's honestly it, and it would be perfect, like literally what you would program a bot to write about like a LinkedIn profile. Exactly. He's also given a recommendation, or he received a recommendation um, from a woman whose LinkedIn describes her as a chili pepper enthusiast. And all she said was, very skilled and efficient. So, okay, that, you could go a lot of different ways with that. <laughs> you definitely can. But in any case, for those two innings of Cubs, or that I guess a third of an inning completed of Cubs baseball, lest we not sleep on the short and very interesting career of Alex Hinshaw, now the corporate mastermind that we all admire to be. May he always be remembered. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Oh, jeez. This has gone off the rails. Uh, <laughs> in any case, Pat, that is the end of episode 24. And as we said before, you got to tune in next week because the only thing better than episode 24 is, in fact, episode 25. So, we will end the show the way we always do, with a question Pat has not heard yet, and this is actually like a legitimate one for the first time in a while, because we've Ooh. just having these goofy questions to end our shows. But I have a legit answer for this, and I think you will too. Um, so, the question is, what player that never played for the White Sox did you always think would be a good White Sox? You think, oh man, that guy should have played over here. Oh man, that's tough. That's a, that, you know, that's a thought provoker. Because I think there's a couple different ways. For a long time, I would have said Ken Griffey, but obviously we got to experience those glorious three months. Um, I, let me think. What embodies a White Sox player of the my my years of following the team? It's got to be if it's a batter. It's got to be somebody that you know just they're gonna hit. They're gonna hit for some power. They're gonna they're gonna probably strike out a lot. They're you know never gonna be an MVP or anything. So who would embody that? Uh, Sounds like Joey Gallo to me. That I mean, that's who I would love. I would love to Joey Gallo right now, but the player that most embodies it. Um, well, that's okay. I'm gonna do mine, and maybe okay. that will yeah uh, help you out a little bit. So, a guy who grew up in Central Illinois, who was a Cubs fan, and was often rumored to be on the Cubs radar, but never was. White Sox, Indian, Philly. Oriole, Jim Tomei, from Peoria, Cubs fan. I ah, yeah, that's a good Cub. one. I mean, right after Derek Lee left, I thought it was the perfect fit for a couple of years, but he decided to go to the other Chicago team. But in any case, I always thought Jim Tomei would have been good, and we, in fact, saw him at Wrigley Field last yep. year. So I'd like to see that he sticks around and supports Wrigley in some way or shape or form. I mean, all, all those concerts that the Cubs have, that's how we got Cole Hamels. So Jim Tomei indirectly helping get Cole Hamels. Yeah. See, I think part of the reason I'm struggling with this is that, like, a lot of those veterans that, like, I'm like, man, if only they had a year with the White Sox, Kenny Williams got out and got him. He got Manny Ramirez. He got Andrew Jones. He got uh, Ken Griffey. He got a whole boatload of other guys. But I I guess, you know what, I'll go in this similar route. I'm going to want to go with a guy that I wanted here a couple times. I think Curtis Granderson would have been cool to have on the White Sox uh, from the city of Chicago, the, probably one of the more notable players from the city. I think either him or if you're just going to go with, like, the pure masher, probably Joey Gallo modern day. Maybe back in, I don't know, 10 years ago, I would have liked to see Prince Fielder out here, but 
it, that's my thing. A lot of the goofy veterans I would have loved to have seen play here for a year. Kenny Williams graced me the presence of letting them, me see them already. So for that, I am eternally grateful to the mastermind architect of the 05 World Series. Yeah, I think Gary Sheffield would have been the, yeah, one, yeah. the only one he didn't really go after. <laughs> he was he. He he was ne- was never in that down part of a career where he could go get him for pennies on the dollar. Exactly. Okay, so that concludes episode twenty-four. You can listen to us on Apple Music, not iTunes, and Spotify. And do us a favor and subscribe when you listen, so that way we can uh, show our boss how cool we are. Uh, you can also listen at lmbfsports.com. Pat. It's a pleasure. The uh, the clock is ticking on season one, so let's make uh, these last few weeks count, huh? Yeah, much like uh, service time, if you call anybody up, that clock does not stop once we get here. So, yeah, let's make this September one to remember if we're going to go with a rhyming way of uh, going about it. But, yeah, good talking to you, as always. Looking forward to maybe winning a game next week when we talk about this stuff. Fingers crossed. Remember, folks, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Go Cubs, go White Sox, go baseball. Have a great week.